to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. This morning, I'm very happy that I can be able to stand here and speak the Word of God. I just want to say that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like struggling a little bit to this morning to speak this word because it's very confronting for myself. It's something that I feel confronted by. It's something that I've, I was like um, wrestling with God. And I just kind of like have been thinking a lot about my personal Christianity and the way I live for God. And, uh, and I kind of find myself in this constant tension of... Uh, of how to live a godly life in a context of a world that actually resists God. How many of you know that we live in an ungodly world? It's the truth. Anything that lives outside of the context of His Word, that they begin to value things that's outside the context of the Bible and the ways of God, basically rules out God in their world, in their lives. And we live in a world that is set up by people that basically don't want God to exist or don't want God to be involved in their lives. And I'm just going to talk to you about this, this morning, talking to you about living a godly life in a godless world. And I just kind of talk to you about living a godly life in an ungodly world. And uh, you know what? Um... We all know that we live in a day and age um, where people glorify self-exaltation. That means just look around you, just look at what is going on around the world. People like to take uh, freaky photos of themselves with, with dark lips. <laughs> no, they call, we call that the selfie that, re- that you'll see people's posts on Instagram and all of their poses are people with dark lips. And with different poses and just faces of themselves. To be really honest, if it's a 10 years ago, if you take a, a, a Kodak camera and you snap yourself, that's freaky. But today it's become normal. People are kind of like, the whole idea of loving ourselves, you know, self-exalting, you know, um, we exalt ourselves above a, 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 a certain... Um, view that we become exaggerate, that we always paint a picture that we look so amazing and good, but the, con- the, but the truth and the condition is we are un, sometimes. And, um, and this is the world that we live in. Self-exaltation becomes common and normal in our world. When the Bible says that we, are, we ought to basically live a life that is selfless, A world where people are obsessed with themselves, they can't even, when they can't find approval from others about themselves, they become depressed of themselves. And now we are so run and ruled by how the world sees us because we want to portray a, per- a certain personification of ourselves to the world that show them that how amazing we are. But when we don't get that response, people eventually go in a spiral of depression. And I mean, we all know that recent studies that... Uh, that people has kind of researched on social media and all. In fact, people who are on Facebook more or, or Instagram, that's always constantly promoting themselves and trying to uh, post things and to just hope that people will have, they'll have more likes and more shares. If they, if they don't get it, they become more depressed. And it's because of the studies today, people are actually, I mean, uh, scientists or even researchers has kind of has 
kind of give an evaluation that people are more depressed today because of platforms like social media and, and, uh, and people are just trying to find a way to just make themselves look good. But, but when they don't get it, they, get, they become more and more depressed. And today the world, you know, to be really honest, because of the technological advancement, you know, and uh, with whatever that we have built in this world, it's all about enriching our lives and uh, just make ourselves feel more comfortable with the advancement of technology so that we can promote comfort, convenience. And when the world is revolved around this ideology, it's all about me, I, and myself, we actually fall into this whole downward spiral of depression, death, and uh, unfulfillment. As much as you know, people's quality of life is becoming more uh, and more, is becoming better and better, radically improved compared to like centuries of years ago, the world is getting nicer and better because of technological advancement and increase of knowledge. But there's one thing that is basically going downwards. It's the morality and the brokenness of man's life becomes bigger and bigger. You know, I, I'm just want to, I just want to make a point. That I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that technological advancements is bad, they are evil. I'm not into that theology of like, well, everything in this world is bad and evil. We just have to seclude ourselves and all. But if, the driving, if we allow the driving force of that whole and self-enriching is all about building a life of comfort and convenience of ourselves, allow the ideology to just kind of like cause us to rule our life, perhaps it's time for us to rethink of uh, to reaccess our life and begin to compare what the Bible says about a life that is that we are supposed to live compared to what the world says how we should live. And if you can turn your Bible with me, and this is the text that I've been confronted for a long time. And today I'm going to bring it out, not with the eloquence of speech, because I, I may not be as eloquent, but I want to allow the text to bring light into our soul and our hearts. And let's turn our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You see, if the technological development and self-centered life is the sole pursuit you know, in our life journey, be it to, to pursue after the quality of life, comfort and convenience, to aim to enrich ourselves and, and basically live contrary to what the Bible says, and, and perhaps we need to start reviewing our Christianity and the way we live our life. You see, the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, this, uh, just before I read the text, you have to understand the context of 2 Timothy, the book of 2 Timothy, is the last letter that Paul wrote before he died. Basically, he's writing to his, one of his most cherished sons. It's like a spiritual son called Timothy. Paul and Timothy, they are like the... We all know that they, are, they have a close relationship as a father and son. And this is basically, Paul is writing this letter with the heart of the father. It's like my last word to my son. I don't have a son yet, but I can imagine the last word I want to give to my son is the most important words. And this is the very words of Paul before he was being executed by King Nero. And he's just trying to remind Timothy of some of these things that concerns him. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, 
Paul said, but understand this, Tim. <laughs> Tim. In the last days, there will come a time of difficulty. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, convicted. <laughs> My parents are here. It's a public confession. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving what is good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with deceit, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having the form and appearance of godliness but denying its power and pauses, avoid such people for they among them are those who creep into the household and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various lust and passion. Always learning and never be able to attain the knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposes Moses, so these men also oppose truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all as, what, as was that of, which two, of these two men. You have to understand that when, Timothy, when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, it is with a great, it's like his last words and says, Timothy, if I can tell you everything that I've taught you, this is one thing that I want you to understand and remember. It's a reminder. It says, understand this, Tim. <laughs> There's so many Timothy in this room. It's like speaking straight to you. Understanding this, Tim, there will come a time in the last days where things are a bit difficult. Okay, Sometimes when you think about difficult times in the last days, the always the thing that comes to our mind maybe is like persecution, wars, you know, tragedies, you know, uh, what else? The thing, the terror, and all these things. The thing that when we think about the end times, is oh, the last days are going to be just horrific. There's so many bloodshed and all. But what Paul was trying to tell Timothy, the difficult time in the last days are not this. In fact, the difficult time in the last days is going to look like this. People are going to become lovers of themselves. People are going to be becoming more and more godless, not outside the church, but in the church. It's possible to live a Christian life yet godless at the same time. Do you know that? Because Paul actually said this to Timothy, right in your midst, there are people like that. You see, the reason why I feel intense because I am very confronted by my own faith. Because when I begin to read through this list, it's either I can live in a place of denial and say, ah, just take a pinch of salt and take it lightly, or I will be embracing the convictions as I read through those lists of, of, uh, of what Paul has listed down in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and could begin to ask God, God, what is going on within me that I need to respond and change? Because it is not right. It's not okay to be arrogant. It's not okay to be proud. It's not okay to be disobedient to parents. But today it's like, it's okay it's a small thing. They will take time to grow and they will learn. Yes, it's true. But how much of it are we willing to address and begin to put weight into these words and says, God, if this is your ways and this is your word, I want to stay at DH to confront it and to respond to it. Because if I don't, it's going to be like the knife in the, in the blood popsicle that we kill the wolf, that the Eskimo kill the wolf with. Do you know that how Eskimo kill wolves? Oh, nobody knows that, right? I tell you how the Eskimo kills a wolf. 
They can't fight the wolf unless they have mighty weapons. And wolves are swift, they are mighty, they are majestic. But the way the Eskimo will hunt a wolf for their fur and whatever that is on them, they will basically freeze up the blood of a seal. And before they freeze up the blood of a seal, they put knife in that blood and begin to freeze into a blood popsicle. And when they will put it somewhere where the wolf will frequently visit it, and when the wolf will come and sniff blood, they will just keep licking the eyes, the blood popsicle. And they will just keep licking and licking and licking and licking and licking, not knowing that they will lick unto a point where the knife is cutting its tongue, and he's beginning to bleed, and he didn't even know that the blood that was licking is his own, and eventually the wolf will die of a massive loss of blood. It's a slow and unknowing death. Do you know that? And because once the wolf is fall dead, because of a loss of blood, the Eskimo will take the wolf without even a physical engagement of violence. They will just tear and take whatever is from the wolf and sell it for their profit. And this is what the devil loves to do. He don't want, he will not show. He's smart. He's sly. He's cunning. It's obvious, when it is obvious evil before us, we will say, no, of course we won't do it. But what he will do is take a set of truth and put a slight twist to it for you to believe in it. And you then eventually got deceived by the slight twist of truth, thinking that it is truth. You just keep licking it, licking it, licking it and licking it. And eventually you compromise and compromise, getting number and number. Is it number? 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 You get numb. You become numb. <laughs> and eventually, you became dead spiritually and decay on the inside, not knowing that you are actually dead. The devil is not stupid. In fact, the Bible, the God himself called him sly, the most cunning creatures of all. The same way that he cheated Eve in that garden by painting how beautiful that tree is. What seems to be good and pleasurable in the eyes of what looks good and nice and it seems right and if believed in a twisted truth of what the serpent has delivered to, to her and she's decided to eat it and eventually a slow death. And sometimes when we read the Bible, it's oftentimes we allow it to confront us or we just basically take small steps of Man, this is too intense. God will give me, you know, I'll take some time. I'll just keep going and going. Just eventually, says, ah, God's not really serious about this. You know, either I live in denies, not me. I think I'm quite good with my, to my parents. And uh, I think it's okay because some, God understands how I was feeling at a point of time, so it's fine. But the truth is, as long as you became heartless, as long as you at a certain point of life, became proud, it is a, you have to have an instant response to say, no, it's wrong. If not, you'll be like the wolf, licking your own blood and die. That sounds quite gory. But it's true. And the troubling things about the end times is really not found in the obvious evil, the outright terror, or even the, op the open persecutions we Christians are going to face. But Paul was determined to get his point across to Timothy by making sure that he understands this. The difficult time in the last days will come when Christians become godless, living a self-exalted life, and the, truth, and the truth is this. It's possible that we Christians can live a godless life. It's truth. 
how much God in your life, how much space you are allowing God and His Word to be in your life determines how godly or godless you are. I am not making this up. Paul is the one that said this. So then, Christian, how do we live, a, live in a world? Oh, there's lights. I totally forgot about it. How do we live in a world that is driven by people who love themselves more than God? It, because most of the time we live in this world, we are driven and surrounded by, by a world that is always propagating, love yourself more. Get more pleasures. Gain more. Take more. Receive more. Your comfort is important. You are entitled to this. You are important. You are great and you are amazing. So live for yourself. YOLO, you only have one life only. You only live once. Live full to, for yourself and let tomorrow settle its own. And we are constantly facing in that kind of environment where people are just promoting self, and sometimes, not unknowingly, we allow that same spirit behind the world influence us, even in the way we bring in, I mean, in the way we live our Christianity. And of course, we all see that Paul gave us a, at least a description. I don't know how you feel about it, but whenever I read, read them in my own personal time, I feel a sense of denial, at the same time, convicted. And sometimes we're coming to church knowing that some of these things are kind of like festing in my heart. I can come in here to do an amazing thing called burning hearts, leading prayer, standing in front of people, looking radical, living by faith, having the form of godliness, but I deny the very power of the gospel that can change me and transform me. I, don't, I, I choose, to, instead of embracing the truth of the ways of the gospel, I choose to resist it because I love myself more than anything. It's, I've been confronted by this whole idea of loving myself more. You see, I want you guys to understand this. Your value and your worth is not because it's not, it's not made up by who you are in terms of yourself, in itself. You are valuable and you are worth, you are worthy is because someone put a price tag on you. Someone gave his own life and because of him giving his life, actually give you that very price tag of your worth. All of us are from, came from dust. We are basically a distorted image of God up to this point. As much as our spirit is now alive in Him as Christians, when we say yes to Him, He breathes His very own spirit in us and we go through the process of sanctification. But the truth of the matter is this. Sometimes, we are still pretty much distorted unless we are willing to accept that and embrace the gospel that says, God, I decided to lose my life so that you can have it. I've been, I've been preaching in youth ministries and all, and I realized that I get the effects of it. Every time we go to a youth conference or youth camp, we will always tell them how awesome you are. How great you are. You can change the world. You are amazing. God has marked and raised you up to be an amazing generation. It's true in certain sense. But who is going to tell them and are willing to address the issues of their heart that they have been struggling? Yes, they can change the world, but at the same time, in their own personal pit, no one is helping them to overcome the pornography that they have been struggling for five years round of conference. 
We can keep telling them, you are amazing, you can change the world, but nobody is willing to address the issue of their hearts. They say that it's wrong. We need to lose our lives so that we can gain His. And they begin, and as they they walk into the conference, they get so disillusioned. I'm great. I'm amazing. It's about me. I can change the world. And then eventually, they live in a constant tension. When they fall, they feel bad. It says, how come I'm not living up to that standard? And we begin to give them a perspective of Christianity. It's all about themselves and not what God has done for them. The truth of the matter is this. It is not about how much we can do to change the world. It's how much we are willing to give ourselves over to God so that He can use us in and through us to transform the world. We in ourselves has no ability. Apart from God, we can do nothing. But sometimes we overrate ourselves <laughs> so much we think that we can. But the truth of the matter is we can't. This is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is about we can't, but God can. And that is why we respond to a gospel that says, God, I know I cannot, and I recognize that I cannot. I need you every single moment, every single day, because I'm just mere ordinary broken man that if I can put my life in the hand of a mighty and amazing God, I know that you can take my life and paint something beautiful. And Paul said, there are people like that in, among you, Timothy. And these guys have a form of godliness, but they have no desire to change. And they deny the power of the gospel. They choose to live a sinful life and to, put, and to be led astray by their own lustful desire and passion. And not only that, but they're going around influencing Christians to live in a place of captivity. And Paul compared them to these two men. I think most of us do not know who these two men is, so I went to research through Google. Janus and Jambres, they are basically the two sorcerers and magicians that Pharaoh has employed to resist Moses and Aaron. And Paul referred them as people who have heard and witnessed truth and yet resisted and opposed truth. They are always learning but not able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. In fact, the, some of the scholars believe that Janus and Jambres, after they lost, they, have defeat, they kind of like got defeated by Moses when, the, when they tried to duplicate uh, uh, all the miraculous plague, but they cannot. And then the rod of Aaron eat up their stuff and stuff like that. And they begin to realize that, hey, these guys are far more powerful because these guys have been learning a secret art that gives them the power to perform magic, and you release power and their value by Pharaoh because of their ability. But when they begin to see themselves, when they begin to lose their power to these amazing people called Moses and Aaron because there's a greater power out there, they actually decided to leave Pharaoh's court. They joined the children of Israelite, went across the Red Sea, and in fact, the scholars believe that they are one of the two instigators to us influence Aaron to build a golden calf. And these are the guys who have witnessed the power of God, they experienced truth, and yet when they cross over the Red Sea, they still choose to live in a principle and a value of what they have learned from, it, from Egypt, and they influence Aaron to, why don't you just build a golden calf to appease the people? Why don't you just take the culture and the values that I used to have in the world and just simply appease the people because this is what they want, just do it. 
And this is the context of why Paul referred these guys in the church that in the days of Timothy as people that's like these two men, Jambres and Janus. They symbolize people who love themselves more than God and Paul calls this type of Christian corrupted in mind. Disqualified, they disqualify their faith and they will not go far. In fact, their foolishness will be present and found to all. See, the fundamental issues of godlessness in the world is not because of the advancement of the, uh, technology or an increase of knowledge, but a stagnation of the gospel. Can I just say that again? The fundamental issues of godlessness in the world is not because of the advancement of technology or the increase of human knowledge of making wealth and power, but it's because of there's a stag- there's, the gospel is stagnated. The gospel is not advancing because the gospel have a different set of way of living that actually is far more powerful and supersedes the way of the world. And Jesus basically demonstrated that life on the earth for us to see a power, a life that is fully yielded, that actually shakes and changes the world. And the only reason why a godless world remains godless is due to the fact that God, the gospel of Christ and Christ's way of living isn't advancing. In the words of Paul, we can have the form of godliness, but the power of the gospel that's able to transform us is being denied. So whenever we hear the word gospel, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Unbelievers, yes? The gospel is about the non-believers, is for those who are unsaved, yes? But can I be really honest with you, in the context of the Bible, the gospel is not just for the unbelieving or something that we say yes to and it stops right there and then we just go around telling people they need this gospel so that they can come into this place called the kingdom of God and, start, and it ends there. It doesn't work that way. In fact, the gospel, we have to preach the gospel to both non-believers and to one another. We have to constantly remind ourselves of the gospel. Because this is the very basis and foundation of our Christian faith. You see, we want to see our families, our family members saved and our unsaved friends being saved by preaching the gospel to them to ensure them to have a life in Jesus, a seal in heaven, and to be able to, maybe it's for some of us out there, or is to grow the church. But the gospel is not just for non-believers, but we as Christians need to preach the gospel to one another on a regular basis. Somewhere down the line in church history, we have kind of like watered down the understanding of the gospel. If you can define the gospel, you can basically, you will know how to live. Because most of us here, we buy into Christianity or we say yes to Jesus and the gospel or to say yes to this Christianity thing is true the delivery or the presentation of a set of gospel that's been given to us. Some of us receive the gospel by, you know, some people receive the gospel because someone tell them, you know what, if you want, to, um, you want to be saved and to have a life after death that has been in heaven, then you must receive Jesus. And then to us, the gospel is all about going to heaven. Right? It's to get ourselves a fire insurance so that we will not stay off from beneath and go somewhere high up there that's cooler. 
All the gospel can be, you know what? You know, uh, you know, this God is a God that has abundance. He has more. He's here to give us blessings. If you believe in this God, He's going to give you more. And says, really? Man, I'm in lack. I want more. And the gospel that's been presented to us is like that we'll believe in. is that if I can't believe in this God and come to church on Sunday to serve Him, God will give me abundance and He'll give me more. If this is all that we want. But if I can just present the gospel to you according to Paul, it's, not, it's yes, some of that, but ultimately it's about losing our lives. The gospel is all about us losing our life and surrendering to God. You see, the problem is this. We always have this phrase, anyone here want to receive Jesus into their hearts? You know, there's this thing that, uh, that kind of like causes me to rethink about my Christianity. Is it really true that, my, that I'm so important that Jesus has to wait for me to receive Him? Or is it Jesus is so worthy that I am willing to give my lives to follow Him? Is it about receiving Him or is it about following Him? Is it about, you know what, God, this is my life. I'm going to give you the entitlement to come in because this is what you can do for me. I open that door for you to come. And we often get, the, get that verse of, in Revelation chapter 3, whenever we hear Him standing at the door of our hearts and knock and, rec- and receive Him, you come and die me. That context of the verse is never meant for salvation. That context of the verse is about people, Christians who basically live a life of independence and leaving God out from their lives because they have really said yes to God and following Him, but they live a life of independence and living living God out of their lives. And Jesus is standing, speaking through John the Apostle in the island of Patmos and telling the church of Laodicea and says, anyone hears my voice and my longing. I don't want to live a life outside of you, but I want to live a life with you and not being separated from you, Christians. And sometimes we have so much things in our life, we don't make room for Him, and we shut Him out because we have other things better to do. The gospel is not just for our justification, but it's also for our sanctification. Meaning, the gospel does not only save us, but it transforms us. It is a sustenance that changes us. The gospel is a process that we have to grow in it to allow the message of the gospel to transform us. It's more than just, okay, I received the gospel and it ends there and we move on. It's not true. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to verse 2. This is like a little bit like an English lesson. And this is what he says. Now I will remind you, brothers, Paul was talking to the church of Corinth, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, past tense, in which you stand, perfect tense, and by which you are being saved. Which means this is what Paul is saying. The, the gospel that I preach to you don't stop, doesn't stop just at justification where you just get saved, but it's also something that you hold on to. Not only that, it is also the very message that will transform you into the likeness of the one that I talk about. Jesus. And the fruit of the gospel, of one who experienced the power of the gospel, is oftentimes godliness. And if I can sum up what godliness is in one word, it will be called Christ-likeness. Jesus is God made flesh, 
And what he did when he came to the earth, he came and put the nature of God on display in a world who do not know God, in a world that is godless. And the advancement of the gospel is more than just getting people to say yes, which is like conversion, to what Jesus has done for us, but also for us to embrace his life by living out the way he, is, he has lived. And the core of the gospel of Jesus is not about gaining our lives, but losing one. When we said yes to him, our lives are no longer our own. The ultimate goal of Christianity is to embrace the life that Jesus lived and modeled for us to live on this earth. And that's why whenever we see Jesus walk on the, on the earth, people who want to follow him, he will say this, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And he always said this, whoever desire to, whoever keep his life will lose it, whoever loses his life for my name's sake will find it. This is the gospel that Jesus talks about. And whoever wants to follow him, they have to let the dead bury themselves. They have to have no string attached with what they used to have. And they have to give themselves fully and wholeheartedly to the very beckoning and the core of Christ. This is the gospel that Jesus taught. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, I believe after that whole passage where Paul listed about the whole godlessness in the church actually that believe that passage of scripture where he talks to timothy about how he has lived his life and i believe that is the answer to the question how do we live a godly life in a godless world second timothy chapter 3 verse 10 after paul began to describe all these lists of things and to help Timothy to understand that the difficult times are going to come. And he basically said, but you, Timothy, however, you have followed my teachings. You have followed my conduct. Not only that, you followed my aim of life, my vision in life. And what is the vision of Paul's life? Count all these things as loss so that they may know and attain Christ. That he may share in the place the resurrection of Christ and to know Him in a place of suffering. You have followed my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecution and suffering. And then He said in verse 12, Indeed, this is the answer. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I didn't make this up because as long as you want to live a life that looks like God, whatever Christ went through on the earth that trying to display God to a world, there will be people who are bound to resist you and deny you because they love themselves more than God. We live in a world that is constantly resisting God. If you want to be a Christian who wants to live a godly life in an ungodly world, there's only one outcome. You must be willing to embrace the life of rejection, resistance, and even persecution. There's no other way. And we can only come to this point when, it's, when we begin to understand what the gospel is all about. The gospel is not about us gaining, but it's all about us losing. And sometimes we, me and my wife, we were like talking 
a few days back in our bedroom, we were just looking at some of this video by Todd White. And we just kind of re- just saw one of this video where Todd is like going around, hey man, Jesus loves you. Hey, and we just go around and grab random people and pray and tell them about Jesus with no fear, with no resistance. He'll just go around loving on people and some people may be antagonistic against him, but he has set his mind that he's willing to embrace that. There's no fear of man. There's no fear of rejection. There's no fear of being resisted by people, but he's so convinced by the gospel that he decided to tell it anyway, even if the world don't like it or don't want it, he will still tell it because he has realized how beautiful and how powerful the gospel is because he has been transformed by it, he has been changed by it, and he's decided to live it out to show people what the gospel can do. It's not just something that we say yes to and we live by hoping that we, nothing else can ever happen, but as long as you say yes to Jesus, it is as good as a death penalty in those days. And how did Paul live? We all know that Paul lived a very abandoned life. And Paul commanded Timothy, you know what? You have lived, you have followed my teachings, my aim in life, my faith. And if you want to keep living a life for God, live a godly life in this world, expect resistance and persecution. Do you fear do you value fear this more or will you want to pursue God more? Which one has more value? Do you want to preserve your life more or do you want to obtain the life that is found in Christ more? And yet for some, then he said that for those who desire to keep their lives because they love their lives too much, we'll only go from this one direction. I know we all talk about the kingdom of God go in this direction from glory to glory, yes? We all believe that, yes, it's true. But for people who don't seek first the kingdom of God, who don't seek first His righteousness and making God first in their life, but they actually prefer themselves more than the kingdom and His life, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, that these people will go from bad to worse. deceiving themselves and being deceived. It's like, I take the word of God, I put it before my face, I read whatever that it says, and I choose to harden my heart and say, no, that's not me. And I choose to be deceived and to live in a place of disillusion and still being deceived and thinking that everything is alright, which the fact of the matter is not. I'm confronted by that. I've been a Christian for the past 16 years. And I begin to look back on my life earlier, in the earlier days of my Christian walk with God when I was a teenager. I used to get more resistance from people than today. Not that I go around searching for them, but just simply because I'm so passionate and I so want to live a life fully given to God that people find it too radical, too much. That it says you are crazy. Of course, we all know that everyone might have gone through this one phase of life. They will call you pastor. They will call you Jesus freak. They will call you the holy man, your Bible man, the priest, the father. When I was a teenager in church, in, I mean, in, in, in my school, I would go around preach. I tell my friends about Jesus. want to bring them to church. Tell them about how good he is. And then I get resisted all the time because I'm so convinced by it. 
But as life grows on, begin to, as I begin to walk in this journey of life, where things begin to add on to our life, we became more pragmatic. We begin to take this gospel a little bit more lightly. We begin to live a life that says that, says that you know what, my, my, I have to think about my family, which is more important. And then we begin to allow the influence of what the world wants to build this world to be, allow it to influence us, and we begin to bring it to the church, and we begin to live a life that's slightly towards more comfortable convenient and that's the whole essence of sacrificing and losing our life is slowly dwindling and I find myself in that place I find myself bending my convictions I used to be convicted in not drinking I'm not saying it's wrong to you it's my personal conviction I used to be so believe in not drinking but somehow, as I begin to grow, prolong this Christian life where people begin to allow it and want it, and I begin to think, ah, I think it's fine. But when God spoke to my heart, is if you want to be a leader, you have to be sober-minded. How much extent are you, do you want? How, the, how, do we, how do we measure you know, our sense of soberness in our mind when we have a tint of alcohol into our, in our bloodstream? There's no way to measure, but I'd rather choose to live in the white than to live in the gray. That was my personal conviction. And I realized as I grow older, I begin to give myself more excuses. <laughs> but if the core and the fundamental of the gospel is about living a wholehearted, radical life, fully abandoned in love with Jesus, whatever that He says, then to me, it is okay to even give up some of these little pleasures in life. Is He far more pleasurable? than the little pleasures that you can obtain in life? Is it worth everything that you can say that I count all these things as rubbish in the pursuit of gaining the knowledge of Christ? <laughs> you know, I am discontented with my faith. I am discontented that I live in a Christian walk that having a form of godliness that people from afar look at me and say, wow, Jason, you look so godly, but knowing that the very fact that my heart is in a constant tension where I realize that I still love myself so much that I could not give my life to the full extent of what I'm supposed to do. I know I can give more, but because I choose to keep it because of convenience and comfort and I love myself too much, that I can't, live, I can't give it up. I remember when I was younger, in a pulpit of uh, my ex-church, it's all about messages of calling you to die, calling you to lay down your lives, calling you to abandon yourself. And those messages has gripped my heart and says, yes, Jesus, you are actually worthy for me to lose it. And that gave me a tenacity to pursue God and live a life not caring about what the world may think about me, but I choose to prefer how He thinks about me. And I find myself at the age of 32 years old, instead of growing deeper in my convictions, I dwindle and I begin to allow a little bit of comfort, convenience and compromise to sip into my heart and giving myself excuses, it's fine. You see, whenever we think about the whole idea of advancing the gospel, it's more than just going out, tell the people about Jesus. That's one aspect. But how far the gospel is going to advance is also determined by how deep you allow the gospel to change you and transform you. Because if you allow the gospel to consume you, trust me, the gospel will go as far as it takes. 
It will take you to places where no one dares to go. It doesn't just stop at a place where you say, yes, Jesus, and now we enjoy our lives in church. But when we say yes to Him, it's all about that whole mindset. I'm ready to lose it. I know this might be a little bit hard for some of us to swallow, but I just want to say that this is the gospel. This is the only way to live godly in an ungodly world. How far are we willing to go to live that godly life and suffer persecution and rejection for His namesake so that Jesus can be made manifest in and through us for those who are searching for Him? Like it or not, as much as we are living in an ungodly world, there are people out there in the ungodly world who is looking for God. There are people who are sincerely seeking and looking for answers to life. But how far are we willing to go to allow this gospel to dictate the way we live and to begin to live out that expression of gospel of losing our life and to be suffering resistance and persecution so that one life can be saved? Have you watched Hacksaw Rich Bridge Rich? I'm not going to say the answer. I'm not going to tell you about it because some of you have not watched the show before, but it's a good show that someone is willing to go to the extent of losing his life to save souls. Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that what Jesus has demonstrated for us? The way to live our Christianity is true. How this person modeled for us, the person that we are following who has modeled for us, and how much are we willing to uphold the truth of the gospel? Because in 2 Timothy chapter 4 onwards, Paul basically encouraged Timothy this. You know what? I charge you. Verse, chapter 4 verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by His appearance, appearing and His kingdom, Preach the word. In season and out of season. And whenever we take the contact, we always take this out and begin to tell people, you know what? Just always be ready to preach because this is a call of a preacher. Be in and out of season. But if you understand the context of this scripture, Paul is trying to address the issue of keeping firm in the standards of God's word. That it doesn't matter what season may be in because the day is going to come where people are going to have itching ears. People are going to be looking for words and, and preach and a kind of teaching that will make them feel good about themselves. But Tim, I beseech you in the presence of God and in the presence of my Father, preach the word in season and out of season. Doesn't matter what kind of environment that you may be in, you may be persecuted, you may be loved, but hold fast and stand true because I have done it. And I fought the good fight and I finished the race and I've been fighting to live a godly life in this ungodly world to the extent that my life is going to be taken away from me. I'm ready to go. But I, because I, fight the, I fought the good fight and I've run and endured the race and I've kept my faith to live in accordance to His word, in accordance to the gospel, I beseech you, Tim, to stay true to it. It's not about you gaining your life. 
but losing it. Then my question to us today is this. In your mind and your worldview of your Christianity, what is it about? Because I am confronted with my own Christianity. Because to me, for a season, it's all about me, I, and how can I build my ministry? How can I live a life that will look good before people? How can I be more radical so that more young people can look at my life and say, wow. And yet I cower myself in a place where I can stay in a prayer room and as much as I know that my role as a believer is to go out there and be bold about my faith and say, you know what, it doesn't matter what you think, but this is what I want you to know, the gospel. And even at the extent where he, Axel, will resist me and hate me for it, for saying the gospel, I will be okay with it. The challenge is this, I don't dare. I've come to a place where I'm afraid that I'll regret living a life not fully abandoned. Constant and myself were like watching Todd White and look at the way he lived and we were so convicted and says, man, this guy really believed in the gospel. But do I? So we talk about selling our homes. <laughs> we talk about random things, giving our money away, let people sleep on our bed. <laughs> Losing our lives. And how far we, will ex- we want to go in our faith. Or how safe we want to live. You know what? If the church here has purpose in their heart to allow the gospel to run deep. And to embrace the gospel that Jesus preached. Trust me. If 120 can live that life to turn an entire city of Jerusalem upside down because they really believe in the gospel and they are so ready to give their life, lives away for the Christ's sake, there's nothing in this world that's impossible. God can take your life broken and weak and He will empower it and make manifest His power and presence through your obedience of living His gospel. How far would you go? How abandoned would you be to live this gospel for Christ's sake? Or we can just deceive ourselves and just remain being deceived, going from bad to worse, keeping our lives instead of giving it away. And my prayer is this, the same challenge that this Bible has challenged my heart. I pray that the same conviction and the same gripping of His Word will come to your heart. I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to myself. Because I am found found in a place of tension. I am at this place with Constance where we are saying, should we cross the line? And there's a tendency in our hearts to withdraw ourselves and say, maybe it's too hard. It's too costly. But you know what? I believe it's worth it because the, the Apostle Paul has displayed it 
it is possible. And I believe in the last days, as God has promised in His Word, there's going to come a day where God's people will overcome every enemy and obstacle and the challenge in this ungodly world by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they will love not their lives, even unto death. This is the church destiny, which is your destiny. And my prayer is, this will be said of you. I have fought a good fight. I have endured my race. And I have kept my faith in a context of a world like that. I chose to stand firm and not budge because I choose to follow the ways of Jesus and live the life that has called me to live. To deny myself, to take up the cross, and to put God on display. And I pray, I pray that this will be your response as well. Shall we stand? You know, t- this morning, I'm not here to just <coughs> bring out a certain set of, like, this passage of Scripture to make us feel like, ah, but I'm just wanting to point us to, all of us here, to a place of decision in our lives. To represent to you guys the gospel. To help you to understand what we are actually believing and following. And perhaps some of us here, we, can, we might have heard a different set of gospel that is so different from what I just said. And perhaps today, this morning, you can once again reveal it according to His Word and begin to look to Jesus and say to Him, Jesus, I want to follow You even though if it costs me. I want to go the extra mile, even to the extent of even to be rejected or be resisted by people in this world so that those out there who are sincerely seeking and looking for you may find you. We are not meant to be a little social club or just a weekly religious meeting that we meet to make ourselves feel better about our life. But every Sunday as we come here, it's all about putting our lives on the altar and says, God, one more week, I'm giving you my lives for the sake of the gospel. It may be tough for the past one week, but when I come and gather in this company of lovers, it gives me courage because I know I'm not alone. What if this is a church that looks like a group of people who loves not themselves but love God far more? And every week there will be testimonies of how they've been persecuted by people and they rejoice and say, I count it worthy to be persecuted for Christ's sake. <laughs> what kind of thinking is that? It's Bible. It is a ways, it is the ways that God has implemented about for His kingdom. It is the gospel of the kingdom 
the gospel that Jesus preached. You see, we can do a lot of good works, good humanitarian works, social justice effort. Without Jesus, it is pointless. Without the gospel, in fact, it will harm the people more because we actually build a certain way to make them feel more comfortable about their lives rather than giving them their lives up for Jesus. You see, this is the gospel. And I pray that today, God will basically come in and grip your heart again and begin to convince you, not with the persuasion of man's word, but with the conviction of the Spirit and the word of God, the authority of the word of God being presented before you that you will basically respond to Him this morning. 